Welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman. This week, we've got a clean slate. Well, as clean a slate as we can without having no games to talk about. With me this week to pump up all kinds of premature conclusions about all kinds of teams after one match day is a marvelous guest. It is Marie Schulte-Bockham of Focus Online. It's really good to have you here. Thanks, Matt. Really glad to be back and looking forward to the new, new season. To this week, uh, you know, we have all kinds of takes on all kinds of teams. Bayern, Dortmund, Hertha, Augsburg, Gladbach, Paderborn. And, you know, for sure, considering our guest, FC Schalke, no fear. Coming up after a quick break. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part of the podcast where we talk about the best of the match day. Usually, you know, three or four matches that sort of stuck out, maybe some storylines that are brewing about coaches hiring, firing, transfer rumors, etc. And it's really kind of hard to say what was best on match day one. Uh, as really, as, as a Bundesliga fan, you just want to drink as much of it in as you can. But I do think that one juncture that clearly qualifies uh, as best was open night. It's the time when everybody's buzzing. And tradition has it that the defending champs play host to, you know, some club or other on opening night. The last seven years, it's been Bayern at home to a bunch of teams, all of whom they have beaten. But not this time. Not this time. This time, some club or other was none other than Hertha BSA. And they gave Bayern a very hard time, as they often have in recent years. Kind of a weird game. Bayern very much with the upper hand, cruising at 1-0 until a Dodi Luka Bacchio shot got deflected into the net for an equalizer. And what do you know? Two minutes later, Bayern got caught napping. Veda Dabisovic chipped a pass forward to put Marco Grujic one-on-one with Manuel Neuer and... Boom, 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 Hertha were on top. Marie, I just wanted to set up that moment that I think I was probably at at, at my peak watching this game. And I will spare listeners a really deep description of how excited I was by those turns of events. What were you feeling as a neutral fan sort of getting into the season little by little and, and suddenly this really shocking scoreline was happening down in Munich? I think as a neutral fan, I was feeling a rush of ecstasy, of excitement that we may be in for a very, very exciting championship with, you know, new storylines and Bayern not running away with the title. And to see Hertha, who, like you said, had given Munich trouble in the past few years, again, within five minutes, turn the game on its head was just fantastic storytelling. So I really enjoyed that first half. I thought Bayern started very well. Um, and then I was surprised that Hertha got into the game again so quickly. And yeah, I mean, what a moment as well for Grujic, who, you know, has stayed an extra year in Berlin, which I think is a great signing for Hertha to be able to keep him on. And he scored, then he injured his eye. <laughs> and I think for a second, none of us really knew what had happened because he kind of cheered with his arms outstretched and then collapsed on the floor. And then, of course, there was that scene where he fouled Lewandowski for the penalty. So I think he had a very roller coaster game as well. And I think it was a, a match that had 
everything we love about football in it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It's, it's interesting that you, you zeroed in on, on Grealish's roller coaster of a game, which, you know, that that sort of head impact that he had uh, in a, a sort of aerial challenge with uh, Benjamin Pavard it really shows how sort of, what a big delayed reaction you can get, especially from, from head impacts, because, you know, <laughs> he banged his head and still had the presence of mind to, you know, round the keeper calmly and put that nice shot on goal. And I was getting so worried after I saw him on the ground there after celebrating his goal because, you know, anybody who who paid any attention to Hertha last year knew what an impact he had early in the season and 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 what bad things it did for that team to see him go down for, you know, most of of the Hinrunde after after a good start. And I thought to myself, you know, we're going to get this go-ahead goal over Bayern. It's going to be this, you know, ecstatic moment. And then immediately we're going to lose Grijic for X number of games, which luckily it doesn't look like. He looks like he just basically has a, a really bad, puffed-up black eye. But, like, ugh. As much as I love that guy, and and I, you know, as soon as Herto took the lead, I I changed my Twitter background photo to to feature him. <laughs> I, I was just getting so excited. It does worry me because he is a guy who I think anybody at the club will profess to you is pretty much at the center of the team, and he's somebody who who Herta needs to have in control of things if if this is going to be the special season that uh, a lot of us really really want it to be. Definitely, especially because he has that quality to orchestrate low passes, very direct passes going forward, and to really play Luca Bacchio and the wingers that Hertha uses into action. So I think he's such a key man for the way Hertha plays and, and wants to play under the, new, under the new coach as well. Yeah, we did have that VAR decision about Grujic's unfortunate challenge on Robert Lewandowski. Uh, it was off the ball. It was not, you know, something that was a necessarily, like, clear-cut thing that everyone saw in the moment. But I think when everyone saw the replay of it, it was pretty clear that Grijic was was liable to to be called for a foul and and give up a penalty there. I didn't really have a problem with the call. I mean, I did find it a little funny that most of the time when calls are coming in for off the ball challenges that that turn into penalties or turn into something, you know, yellow cards, red cards, etc., they tend to be things, you know, in German you would call it a tätlichkeit or in English maybe maybe a unsportsmanlike conduct kind of situation. And I'm not really sure that Grujic's challenge rose to that level, really. It was an odd one because, like you said, we missed it in the moment on TV. And also one of my colleagues who was reporting the game from the stadium, they also missed it. And it was only, I think, two minutes later that the penalty was given. So in a way, it you know it shows that VIR can make the game fairer because it was a foul. But I, I honestly, I think... Grujic will learn from this. I think it was an odd thing for him to do in the moment because it wasn't necessary to prevent a goal-scoring chance. I know Lewandowski is always a big threat in the box, but it was a very weird scene for Grujic and kind of, you know, Bayern didn't have a goal-scoring chance. Then they get a penalty, which is a 75% or 80% goal-scoring chance. So that was a bit unlucky, especially so early going into the second half when Hata really had the upper hand to begin with. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that basically this turned out to be, and I don't want to overstate this, this was this is not a, a get out of jail free card or anything like that. I think that, you know, 
chances are that Bayern may well have figured out a way to, you know, get an equalizer at some juncture in the second half, even if that penalty hadn't come about. But on the other hand, they were not exactly brimming with, you know, really guilt-edged chances. And there was a lot of periods in that game where it looked at times when Robert Lewandowski and, you know, maybe to a lesser extent, Kingsley Coman were getting into the box and then looking to get fouled as opposed to, you know, finding ways to to get a real clear-cut chance on goal. I mean, what, what was it that kept Bayern from being more dominant, from carving out more chances? What was either not working for them or working for Hertha defensively in your mind? I think Tolisso had a a poor game and I was surprised he started because Sanchez had some very good appearances in the build-up to the season, in preseason. And of course, Goretzka was injured one day before, so that was a big loss for Bayern going into the match. But in midfield, Bayern just lacked some of that spark and Thiago wasn't able to cut through Hertha's high pressing line all the time in his build-up play. So I think, yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with Tolisso, you know, missing some of that dynamic playing style that we know from before his major injury last year. And it was his, you know, I think it was a bit of a surprise that he started that match, to be honest. Yeah, and and, and the opposition that you just drew there was that, well... One of his central midfield rivals, let's just say, uh, Renato Sanchez, you said, had mostly had a good preseason and, you know, did eventually get on the pitch for a brief cup of coffee uh, at the end, but was notably irritated or or at least unsatisfied with how his night had gone. Probably was not happy that he didn't start, probably was, you know, also not happy he only got five minutes in this game, and told reporters pretty openly, not necessarily with any rancor, apparently, but clearly and directly that he wants to transfer, that five minutes is not enough for him. Do you see that as a problem at all for Bayern? I mean, obviously, they, they, they've been buying players quite a lot this past week. I mean, Ivan Perisic has come in, uh, Philip Coutinho, that deal went through seemingly during the course of this game, if you believe Twitter, <laughs> and the young, you know, also central midfielder, Mikhail Cuisance from Borussia Mönchengladbach. I mean, at this point, why keep Renato Sanchez around if you're only going to play him for five minutes when he is a player who probably is going to be unhappy if that's what's going on and could probably be sold for some decent money? Yeah, I'm totally on the same page as you there. I think he's a talented player who just doesn't fit in Munich. Sometimes you have that. You know, you have a good player who's unhappy in a new environment. We all saw what he could do at the Euro in 2016 when he was the best young player of the tournament and really one of Portugal's best players at the time. And I think, you know, even just if you loan him out to, say, PSG with an added buy-on clause, you know, what can... Bayern really lose then it's tough when you have an unhappy player who publicly criticizes the coach and says he doesn't get chances and says that he told the club he wants to leave twice (laughs) Um, I I think that can really be bad for the as we say in Germany the hygiene of the squad you know in inside the changing room that can be one of those factors that kind of turns other people down so it's an odd decision, especially now with Cuisance coming in as well, who left Gladbach because he wants to get more minutes. <laughs> I find that very odd. <laughs> you know, Max Eber, the Gladbach um, boss, he said, yeah, we that, that apparently 
Cuisance asked for a guarantee to start more games. And, you know, very understandably, Marco Rosa said, we don't give that for any player. And now he goes to Bayern Munich, um, who have one of the best midfield midfields in, in the Bundesliga. So, yeah, it's, it's an odd it's an odd one for me. And I'm, I've got my popcorn out and I'm looking forward to all the, <laughs> all the unrest to come. And also just from a squad competition standpoint, with Kovac now wanting to play his 4-3-3 all the time with those three midfield spots to see who along Thiago will start in the very important games of this season. Yeah, looking at the two bigger name buys that Bayern has undertaken in the last week, week and a half, Perisic, who, you know, is thought of among a lot of observers as being a sort of, I don't know, a rotation player on the wing. I don't know if it'll bear out to be what that is, considering especially players like Kingsley Coman's, you know, tendency to get hurt. And then, you know, the big, big buy that they made, um, Coutinho, who is, you know, probably, they, they didn't necessarily put all their cash right on top of the table, but the buy-on clause for him, if he does work out at Bayern, is apparently very, very high, is maybe as much as 100, 120 million. That would be a blockbuster deal for Bayern Munich. I mean, we all know that they are a little bit more conservative with their money than some of the other super clubs in Europe, but... Um, is he the guy that they need? Is he going to sort of galvanize this team? Is this is there a Coutinho shaped hole in this squad? <laughs> I love this deal. I have to say, I'm very excited for him to come to the Bundesliga. I thought when Coutinho played in Liverpool under Klopp in his last two seasons, he was the best player in the Premier League at that time. I am curious to see how he will fit in at Bayern, though. So I really liked your question about the Coutinho shaped hole. Because, again, he has that type of playing style of more like a James Rodriguez, who we know didn't fit very well at Bayern. You know, he likes to be a kind of free-floating number 10. And that was perhaps the reason why he didn't work out in Barcelona, because that was very much Messi's space. So I'm really curious to see how he will play at Bayern. I could see Kovac perhaps um, employing him as, a, as his left number 8, so that he roams in midfield and covers that left wing and plays a bit with Alaba and Coman. But then Coutinho would be expected to really join in on the defense as well. So I'm not sure he'll be up for that. <laughs> but I'm so interested to see him play. Unfortunately, his first game will likely be against Schalke next weekend. <laughs> so no, but I, I think this is a great deal and came, seemingly came out of nowhere. I know for a few days prior, they had said that they're interested in him, but I very much expected him to go to PSG as part of a potential Neymar deal to Barcelona. So like you said, when this deal unraveled pretty much in the middle of the game, <laughs> um, and I was working in the office and kind of covering the game and covering Coutinho and covering Cuisance, there was a lot of, yeah, a lot of excitement and goosebumps there. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited to see this as well. I think that, you know, the Bundesliga hasn't had a sort of, you know, super high-end player of of Coutinho's sort of price range, let's just say, in quite some time. I mean, James was coming off of a pretty badly tarnished couple of seasons at Real Madrid, I think. I mean, everyone kind of got to know him through the course, maybe, of, of the World Cup back in 2014, and then he wasn't really up to much in his club career after that. And, and going to Bayern was sort of seen as a clear, like, I'm trying to salvage something, which 
didn't exactly come off. And I feel like nobody really begrudges Coutinho for not getting that much playing time when like his direct opponent in in that effort is the best player who ever lived. And you can quote me on that, and you're dumb if you think otherwise. <laughs> so I, I'm just excited to see what this guy does. I mean, he is going to probably raise the game of everybody around him. I, I, I mean, the Thiago Coutinho axis is going to be pretty unreal, as well as seeing what he can do as far as freeing up players like Lewandowski, Gnabry, etc. I'm sorry that it's coming against Schalke first, but <laughs> I'm expecting fireworks from the outset. Quickly, before we leave this whole topic behind of, of this you know first match of the season and what's going on, I want to turn things back quickly to Hertha. I obviously have, have, have Hertha-colored glasses on all the time. I was very pleased with the results. I you know was a little bit less pleased at times with some of the, um, the cheap giveaways that were happening that led to some nervy moments. But ultimately, I thought that Ante Ciovic's plan or, or desire to play through the middle much more than, than did uh, Hertha under Paldardai seemed to come off. I mean, it, it got them two goals. It got them, uh, you know, a, a draw away to Bayern. What did you make of Hertha? Does this seem an appreciably better, more exciting team? Or is that just, you know, sort of blowing smoke at this point? No, I agree with you. I thought it was a brave performance, very courageous to try that direct play through the middle in Munich, in the Allianz Arena away on the first day of the season where no club ever really knows where it stands. And I thought Darida and Duda had a good game in the middle, some good combination play between the two of them. Yeah, I thought generally that Hertha, you know, you could see the early roots of um, the new coach's style of play. So it was really exciting. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see Hatta this season because I think that in the transfer window, they did strengthen the squad quite well. Um, Luca Bacchio was a bit of a blockbuster signing. And, you know, we know many other clubs were interested in his signature as well. And yeah, to for him as well to start with a goal in his first game, you know, that he's now scored four games in the Allianz Arena, which is the same as Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> 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 so I think that's a wonderful fact uh, for all Berlin fans. <laughs> I like it. Well, you know, if if Luka Bacchio has scored as many goals as uh, Cristiano Ronaldo in the Allianz Arena, Marco Grujic seemed to almost uh, steal Ronaldo's goal celebration after his goal. He he had did the whole throw his arms out to his side in Ronaldovian style. Okay, cool. I'm 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 not completely crazy then that uh, you know this this might be a somewhat more fun Hertha than in past years. Let's move on. Let's talk about, you know, Bayern's putative big rival for the title. It is Borussia Dortmund. They got a very big 5-1 win over uh, FC Augsburg. In a also kind of a kind of a weird sequence of events. They had an early blackout in the first minute of the game. They basically spotted Augsburg a goal. But, you know, luckily, Augsburg's new keeper, Thomas Kubek, decided to spot Dortmund three goals in the course of this game. So anyway, I mean, th- this does put Dortmund top of the league, uh, three points plus one goal difference. They are level on points with uh, RB Leipzig. I got to say, this was a pretty dang positive uh, performance from them, or positive uh, result for sure, albeit against a club that I really think probably is is going to be in some trouble this season. I thought it before the season, and I have saw nothing that, that would um, change my mind about that. Are you kind of feeling like Dortmund is in a position to steamroll bad teams, which is a really important part of uh, winning a title? 
Yes, I am. And I agree with you that it's such an important part of winning a title because yeah. we saw in the second half of last season that that's against really Augsburg, uh, against others. Augsburg. Exactly. And I know people say because it's a better storyline that Dortmund lost again the title in the derby against Schalke, but I really disagree with that. I think they lost the title in February and March against teams like Augsburg, against teams like Nuremberg, where they only tied. And it's really important that in games against lesser opponents, not to disrespect Augsburg, but against teams of a lesser quality, that you get those points, that you stay concentrated, at, that if you do go behind unexpectedly, as they did, which, by the way, was the same thing that happened on the first match day of last season against Leipzig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you then then can turn it around. And I think they have so much quality now, especially on the wings with the new signings, that it's even harder to defend against Dortmund. I actually thought Brandt had a really good appearance at the end. Beautiful technique when he took the long ball straight and shot it into the net. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to see how Dortmund plays. One thing that stuck out to me, um, which the preseason already hinted at, but that perhaps a few months ago I wouldn't have predicted, is that Julian Weigel has now kind of stolen that spot in the defensive midfield from Delaney and is playing alongside Witzel. And there again, you have a much, perhaps a more creative player than Delaney, who's a very strong player, um, more of a box-to-box player and Weigel is much more that kind of number six with the eye so yeah I think he he's also a winner at Dortmund of preseason and I'm looking forward to see him play because last season when he did get chances it was mostly as a centre-back which isn't his natural position and I actually expected him to leave this summer so I thought that was a a nice storyline as well. Yeah it's fun to see a player who man in in the Thomas Tuchel era of Dortmund. I mean, he was one of the hottest young players in in European football, talked about, you know, big money moves to, you know, Spain or England or what have you. And, you know, then sort of seemed to to fall into a ditch, both in terms of form and in his, his ability to sort of fit into the plans of the people who eventually took over at Dortmund. And I'm just happy to see him playing and playing well. And, and, I now think Dortmund would be very silly to uh, to to sell a player like this because when it comes to having that sort of option and in the middle of the park alongside Axel Witzel, or even you know in <laughs> in emergency you can break that glass and you can play him at center back. Although now that they have more cover there, I think it's probably less likely to be happening. I did want to go back and talk a bit more about these new signings. I mean. Oddly enough, you know, Brandt was the one who didn't start among their sort of big-name signings of the summer. Uh, he did get 22 minutes. He did get a goal, as you said, a very, very nice goal. But it was it was Mats Hummels, Torgan Azar, and Nico Schultz who got the start in this game. And I don't know, but from what it looked like to me, they all kind of slotted right in and, and <laughs> were hitting the ground running. I was thinking, like... The fact that Favre was able to put them all straight into the lineup and have it be have it come off bodes really well for them. Definitely. And it shows again how well they were signed, that they can play this brand of Dortmund football quite quickly, um, that they have the experience in the Bundesliga, so you know they don't need much time to establish themselves. One thing I'm actually interested on, kind of a an effect with these signings, is the future of Mario Getze. Sure, yeah. 
because he his contract runs out next summer, as we know. And I do think that that could be a potential unrest in the squad and around the club because he has said publicly in a build interview recently that he would consider going to England and he's kind of positioning himself, you know, to perhaps increase his salary. And then a lot of Dortmund fans are saying he's ungrateful for what the club did for him. And there's, you know, there's always a lot of emotion <laughs> when it comes to Götze because everyone has such strong views on him. And I wonder, you know, if he'll get less playing time now with these signings in Dortmund's attack and how that will impact his future in the club. Yeah, yeah, I wonder that too. I mean, he doesn't particularly strike me as a, a kind of, I don't know, real problematic, malcontent kind of a guy. I mean, he's certainly, for reasons of health and or form, both at Bayern and at Dortmund, had pretty significant periods where he wasn't first choice. And that was something that was sort of thematized from the outside, both you know, before his, you know, famous World Cup winning goal, uh, because he was one of Germany's golden boys for, for a really long time, even, even you know, into the period when he was no longer a boy. And then after the, 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 the World Cup winning goal, you know, because of that alone. But I actually would not blame him for wanting to go somewhere else because he's used to making a whole lot of money. And as long as he can find someone who's willing to pay him that money, he should probably do that. And I, I really don't think that the minutes are necessarily going to be there at Dortmund because Dortmund basically has other better options at the positions that he uh, is, is you know, happy to play. I mean, I kind of think going to England might not be a bad move for him. I mean, it might be just as tricky there to find minutes uh, at, at a lot of the bigger clubs anyway as it is at Dortmund. But I'm sure that there's a place for him at, at a sort of a mid-table or aspirational mid-table club or you know he could even fit in at a, a, a sort of bigger european club with a lot of money who wants to sort of have another big name player um i i wouldn't find it problematic at all if he moved on as long as as sort of he found a place where he could actually play i mean i granted would love to see him in the bundesliga and there was a time when i was trying to sort of you know, this was maybe a couple of years ago when he was really struggling at Bayern for playing time, where I would like to see him as, as a sort of centerpiece player on a not very good team. You know, this was maybe two or three years ago version, but like a, a Wolfsburg team, a team with, with lots of money and, and you know, not nearly as not enough quality compared to a, a team like Bayern or Dortmund. But at, that's just not in his price range. He wants to be a top earner at a top club and, you know, bully to him. It's, it's, it's a job, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think I, I like your arguments there of seeing him perhaps in a bigger team, perhaps even in a lesser league. I mean, how about Napoli or Roma or Inter? You know, those fans would worship him. Love it. Love and it. And perhaps he could work with someone like Ancelotti because he's, he's a very sensitive personality as well. He needs that trust of a coach. And at the beginning of last season, we know that he didn't gel very well with Favre. And that seems to have changed. 
but yeah, I'm, I think that will be a very interesting development to watch over the next few months to see where he goes, because I don't think that we'll have to wait until next summer to find out. No, no, I don't either. I think the proof is going to be in the pudding um, <laughs> through the course of the year. And I'm pretty sure that as long as Mario Götze stays resolute in his desire to be sort of on a par with, with Dortmund's very top, top earners, which is to say, you know, guys like Marco Reus, who he clearly is just not on the level with anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's he's got to go somewhere else. And, and fine, go somewhere else, you know. Find your happy place. <laughs> I guess we probably don't need to, I mean, maybe maybe this should be just a weekly feature of Talking Foosball because I feel like it's going to be one. Let's have, uh, you know, maybe from from you, who is, you know, on the show this week, and hopefully you'll be on many more times this season, but do you want to have a moment of praise for Jaden Sancho, who <laughs> is increasingly becoming increasingly likely to be clearly the best player in this league? Yes, yes, I can't, cannot praise him enough. He's one of those players where no matter where I am, what I'm doing, I will try and find a TV just to watch him play. <laughs> Because he has that quality. And one of the last players that I had that with in the Bundesliga was actually Leroy Sané in his time at Schalke. You know, someone who can really make the difference and turn a whole team around, which I think is so hard. In it sounds obvious, but in a team sport of 11 players on the pitch, you have very few players who can really turn a game by themselves. And he does that. And he just the way he, he dribbles with his pace and his skill, the way he can get past a man, and also the way he links up with Marco Rice, which is always one of the best things to watch as well. Such a joy. And they seem to find each other without having to look at each other. You know, you have that kind of no-look, back-heel pass a lot of the time between the two of them. I was a bit concerned that, because just because of his age, that he might have a dip in form in his second season, as is often the case when... You know, you're a much more prominent name than you were a year earlier, because <laughs> we've seen that with Leon Bailey, for example. But I think Jaden Sancho is just a real deal. And I'm very glad that he's in the Bundesliga for at least one more year. Yeah, I'm going to hold out for more than that, but um, <laughs> I know Dortmund is a club that likes to do business when they think the business is good, and I don't blame them. You know, Dortmund, sitting pretty, top of the league, plus four goal difference, three points. Uh, they have two away games coming up next, which might sound slightly hard, but they happen to be against Cologne and Union. So now that we have sort of warmed up to the thought that Dortmund are going to be sitting pretty on top of the league for uh, a few more weeks to come, we can, after a break, take a little toddle over to the other side of the Ruhr Valley to, you know, a team that's also off to a pretty good start with significantly less fireworks and maybe one a little closer to Marie Schulte-Bockham's heart, FC Schalke, no fear. Don't go away. Okay, here's part two of Talking Foosball, which, you know, is ostensibly the rest of match day one, and I think it probably still qualifies as that, but there might still be some best to come. We do have to talk about uh, RB Leipzig's dismantling of... Union Berlin in Berlin on the first match day of the season. There's a couple of storylines in the background to that game, but I think really where we want to start is with the debut of a couple of new coaches in the Bundesliga. It was 
would have been a great time for Marco Rosa, who is in from Austria and RB Salzburg at uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach now. And for David Wagner, who was last seen in Huddersfield, formerly of the, uh, you know, Premier League. Both of these guys would have loved to get three points here. They probably would have at least maybe loved to get a score draw, a 1-1 or a 2-2 draw. They had to settle for a nil-nil draw. It wasn't quite there for them. Benito Raman for Schalke and Alisson Playa for the Foles were probably the likeliest scorers, both of whom didn't quite hit the target on some clear-cut chances in this game. Maria, since you probably had your eyes laser-focused on Schalke or you know, admittedly, or maybe just behind the scenes in your heart. I want to start with you guys. What did you like? What did you not like about uh, Schalke in this performance? Yeah, so first of all, I'm afraid I have to disagree on one thing that you just said. I think both of the new coaches, rather than perhaps really wanting a win to start their season, they very much feared starting with a loss. (laughs) Sure, yeah. And I think that really showed in this game. You know, it was two teams pressing very high against each other, defending to the front and kind of staying in shape, staying in their formation and not really risking too much. And it made for a very, you know, it made for not very great watching, to be honest, as any football fan who saw the 90 minutes of this match would agree with. Hey, it was better than watching Schalke last season, (laughs) I have to say. Yeah, that's true. I do think some positives on Schalke's end were... The just the quality of the running and the fitness of the squad. Uh, Mascarel ran 12 kilometers in this game, which was one kilometer more than any other play on the pitch. And that's something which people always threw at Schalke last season, that they were a bit too lethargic on the pitch, not fit enough under Tedesco. So Wagner really seems to <laughs> have drilled that into them. So I thought it was a hardworking performance by Schalke, especially in midfield. I thought John Joe Kenny had a very strong showing, uh, the low knee from Everton in right defense. So I thought he he had a really good game, very present on the pitch, very demanding, always asking for the ball, good in his passing, good in tackles. Really looking forward to see how he establishes himself in this team this season. Creatively, I was a little disappointed in Arit. I know he's getting a lot of praise for, again, his... Uh, running and you know he had apparently 31 sprints in the match so you know he he had a good performance in that sense but he lacked some of that last pass um, creative spark we really you know wish for from him so yeah some positives Nubo uh, was interesting as well to see how he played after all the rumors this summer and him being installed as captain at the age of 22 he had that slight <laughs> scene where he kind of like caught the ball near the post and then let it slip through his fingers to a corner. So, you know, that caused a bit of uproar, but he also had some very good saves. So another good performance by him. And that's about all I can say, apart from, of course, the atrocious uh, Benito Raman miss. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was just, <laughs> oh my gosh, I was, I don't know if I should laugh or like, I was just sitting there with my mouth open because he was running alone at summer. And then he shot, I think he missed the goal by about 10 meters, the right post. So absolutely incredible there. I think that was the biggest chance of the game from from Schalke's end. Yeah, it's it's interesting because obviously when you have a miss that bad, you end uh, a match in a lot of people's minds as, as having a big, big egg on your face. But 
I can't blame him in some ways for being in the the right place to even have that shot. I mean, basically, it's clear to me that whatever is going on with Benito Raman, as far as like feeding him sort of early balls up the wing, is probably going to work at least against teams like uh, Gladbach, who who are sort of doing a high press. If you can beat that press with a quick ball out to, to Raman, he's going to get some chances. And I don't think he's going to screw them all up. I think that is going to be a, a pretty effective tactic. I mean, what did you feel like the sort of, I don't know, either reaction from the players that you were able to assess after the game or from Wagner or even from the sort of, you know, press pack from Schalke, which as you know, is is vast. I mean, there's a lot of people paying attention to everything that happens at Schalke. Was this sort of a performance that everyone was able to get behind? Or is this something of a, of a wait-and-see situation after this game? Yeah, I think in a way, expectations were so, so low after last year. You know, they came 14, which is a terrible showing if, for such a big club, for such an expensive squad, um, for the fan base. And everything that Schalke stands for, having been in the Champions League for so many years, in the last 10 years. And this year, you know, many fans kind of said, you know, as long as we don't play against relegation, you know, as long as we're safe, we're fine. <laughs> and then to have Gladbach away on the first match day, you know, a lot of people were groaning and moaning and expecting the worst. I know Bild predicted a, a 5-0, you know, thrashing <laughs> in one of their articles. So... I think the reaction was kind of hesitant happiness in a way and kind of positive surprise, maybe a little bit of pride that they did play so well away to Gladbach, who, you know, signed one of the most anxiously looked forward to coaches. Marco Rosa was chased by so many clubs and Gladbach were able to get his signature. So everyone was very interested to see how they would play. And I think Schalke defensively, you know, they performed well, which is at this stage kind of everything you can ask of them. So it's it's a shame that we didn't see any goals, but I think Schalke were a lot more happy with this result than perhaps Gladbach were. Yeah, I mean, looking over on the other side of the ball at Gladbach, Marco Rosa, we've already mentioned him a couple of times. He is new. He brought in, you know, quite a few players who who were either bought over the summer or who you know had returned to the club after had not being being around i mean much like neuhaus had spent time away from the club and came back a different player perhaps that's what the hope is with laszlo benesh who sort of you know what we were seeing at keel last season and you know this 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 is a very different Gladbach than we saw. I mean, we not only had had him in the side, we had Braille Embolo, the ex Schalke player. You know, we had Turam up front alongside Playa Liner, one of one of uh, you know, I guess his old charges from from Salzburg. I mean, how do you think the Marco Rosa experiment is is going to come off after looking at at one at one game? You know, now that you have such strong feelings. Well, it's a tough one to say because I. I kind of expected more, I have to say. I know it's only the first match, but I expected more. I expected better football from Gladbach, especially given all the, you know, glamour that Marco Rosa, Marco Rosa's signing brought with him. I thought Lajlo Benesch, like you mentioned, uh, you know, you picked him out. I thought he had a very strong game, very promising player. And, you know, it really might come off that he had that one game at Holstein Kiel and is now a more established uh, finished product. 
yet some very good moments. Mbolo, you know, very hardworking, but I have to say, I just think in terms of footballing skill, he's not really progressed much beyond his Schalke performances over the years. I, I do think he's a very pacey player who has a lot of qualities, who can win any one-on-one duel just by, by his physique and his um, speed. But with Turam and Embolo, I thought both of them played a little unfortunately, and it was very much up to Alassane Player in the middle to, you know, he's much more of a footballing player who can bounce a ball back and forth uh, with another player and combine more strongly. So in terms of attack, I was actually not very impressed by Gladbach at all. I see, I see. All right. Well, I, I suppose, you know, not scoring a goal is is a nice way to not impress folks like uh, Marie Schulte-Bockham. <laughs> Another team that did not score a goal on match day one was FC Union Berlin. Or, sorry, uh, Aston FC Union Berlin. <laughs> they, they are the first union club of Berlin. Meanwhile, they did give up four goals. Uh, it could quite easily have been five. Uh, one was was chalked off for a, a, a handball that VAR caught in the buildup. I made the sort of you know somewhat cheeky prediction that the first fifteen minutes of this game, in which the Union fan block was going to stay silent, might prove their undoing. But you know, RB Leipzig had the courtesy to wait until the sixteenth minute to start scoring in this game. So I suppose the the whole fan protest angle turned out to be a, a, a big nothing. But this was a serious, serious one-way traffic sort of game. It was a four-nil and it could have been forty to nil. Uh, and I I don't mean that in a sort of like serious sense that they would have scored 40, 40 goals. But I mean, it, it just, there was no moment at which I felt that there was even like a, a teams on the same level playing each other. I, I was very, very concerned with what was going on for Union. Yeah, I agree with you. It was, it was very sad because I think Union has so much character. You know, everyone was so happy for that club to go up to the Bundesliga for the first time ever. And there was so much beauty around the action on the pitch. I saw that in the crowd, a lot of people held up black and white pictures of deceased fans who were not able to see Union ever play in the Bundesliga. I thought that was a really beautiful touch. And you could really feel the stadium erupt when the fans stopped this protest after 15 minutes. But they really had no chance at any point. And Leipzig just absolutely flied over them you know I flew over them and it was just wave after wave of attack and merciless attacking football and uh, yeah really good start for Nagelsmann and you know now in retrospect you have to say lucky for them that Union Berlin was the first opponent sure unfortunately sure yeah, yeah I would like to see Union be a competitive team in this league because it's 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 really no fun to uh, have a team sticking around who who just don't have a chance of of competing and I'm not ready to write them off. I think that there are plenty of other pretty indifferent teams in this league. Now, you don't play against RB Leipzig every week. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure when Union fans are doubly glad that they don't have to play against this club that that, that they dislike so strongly every week, uh, especially given the fact that they they crush them. But you know. 
I am worried. I, I, I thought Union would be bad, and this was really, really bad. So I, I, I hope they figure out another way to play. I hope they figure out some some ideas, both about how to get forward and, and create chances and to deal with the kind of, you know, both speed and clinical finishing, or, or I guess I could add another third thing, just the kind of interplay that, that Leipzig is capable of, which is something that I don't think any team that, that Union faced in the uh, second division, other than, I don't know, maybe Paderborn at their best, is capable of. It, it, was, it was ugly. Yep, yep. One thing I was surprised uh, about was that Subotic didn't get a chance in the starting lineup. Um, perhaps I'm not close enough to the day-to-day of operations at the club, but I think someone of his experience in the Bundesliga could really have anchored that team quite well. So I'm looking forward to see, you know, any any more of a prolific role that he might take on as the season progresses, because I thought that was such a cool signing for Union to bring him into the squad. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, he's he's... He seems like such a good guy. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other games that happened this week, which we won't really have time to, you know, go into crazy detail on, but I think are, are, are well worth talking about. I mean, I mentioned Paderborn in a moment of sort of praising their quality uh, last season in the, the Zweite Bundesliga. And truthfully, I thought they looked pretty good away to Leverkusen. I mean, they did go down 3-2, but in that first half, I mean, the first half an hour, it was a real sort of seesaw situation where each each team would score and then, then you know, Paderborn would answer. I think that maybe they were done a favor by getting to play against maybe the other most vertical team in the league <laughs> so that, you know, <laughs> they didn't necessarily come up against a team that was looking to counter them or was looking to sort of hold the ball and not give them, you know, much of a chance to to, to, to do anything with it. I mean, it, it was just a fun set of circumstances that these two teams that really like to just sort of go full steam ahead faced off on match day one. And I, I was really impressed that, that Paderborn were able to come up with good solutions to get the ball forward very quickly. And they had, I was really impressed with their team speed as well. I mean, a lot of the 50-50 balls against Leverkusen were going Paderborn's way because they had, you know, some very, very fast players. Yeah, really very, very good performance by them. Very excited to see how they'll play against other teams in the Bundesliga because this was a very strong showing. And Leverkusen is one of the, you know, top three to five teams in the Bundesliga. So this was a very brave showing in Leverkusen away on their first Bundesliga outing. And I really, you know, not the first ever, but the first this season, of course. And I, I really liked the way that they played. I liked the quality of the goals. Um, they were very opportunistic, going for those loose balls all the time in midfield as well. And... You know, when you're playing against such opposition as like Leon Bailey or Kai Havertz, Demir Bay as well, who came to Leverkusen this season, or even Folland, these are quality attackers that are running at you. <laughs> so I thought that they did a really good job. And this was one of the most fun games to watch this weekend. Yep, yep. I am definitely going to have an eye out for them now that I know that their hell for leather plan that they went with last season is still their plan and it might just come off. Let's see. We did have another, uh, well, this was maybe a, a game that had certain intrigue just because it was pitting two teams who have, have gone through some pretty significant changes 
over the summer going against each other. It turned out not to be an exact barn burner of a game. It was kind of a game that uh, took a turn very early on and then uh, was on simmer for, for some time after. Frankfurt versus Hoffenheim, Martin Hinteregger. The, uh, you know, Torjäger, <laughs> Martin Hinteregger, uh, got a goal in the first minute of this game. I think it was a set-piece situation, if I'm not mistaken. And that was enough for uh, Eintracht Frankfurt. The team, everyone was worried about how they were going to get their goals through the season with uh, the departures of, of Luka Jovic and, and uh, Sebastian Allaire. Ends up getting a goal from their sort of cult favorite center back. And, and, and that's enough against a Hoffenheim team who is not quite the sharpened tip of a spear that they have been in recent seasons. Any thoughts about where this result leaves either of these teams? Yeah, I thought it was a good showing by Frankfurt. A bit depressing, honestly, as a Bundesliga fan to see Rebic uh, up front alone without his fellow Buffalo herd of Alea and Jovic. But I thought Kamala had a really strong game. And he's had a very good preseason, too. He was away in Belgium for last season, I believe. And he's a very skillful player in midfield who, you know, had a very good chance at goal as well. So I'm looking forward to see him progress. I think he's quite young, 22 or 23 years old. So he might be the next player who everyone applauds Bobic for. <laughs> and Kostic is in very good form, as he was in la uh, during the last season. So he might become even more important and perhaps may even take a more attacking role than last year. And Hoffenheim, I think it'll be very tough for them without Nagelsmann, and they've had some very hard departures as well. But um, I think that they will really progress from, really benefit from Geiger being back. I was very happy to see him back in the team. He kind of fell off the radar last year through injuries, but He's a very promising German midfield talent, and he actually had a goal ruled offside in this match as well. So really interesting to see how he'll fit into that team moving forward. Yep, I will be keeping quite an eye on, on both of these teams because, you know, I kind of had some pretty serious doubts about where both of them would be come the end of the season. But, you know, there might be life in Frankfurt yet. <laughs> but then again... It's, it's, it's just one game. We did have just one game between Wolfsburg and Cologne. Wolfsburg have come into the season with uh, pretty high expectations, I would have to say, not only because they had such a good season last year, but because, you know, this this uh, Oliver Glasner fellow was sort of a shooting star down in Austria. Take that uh, with as much uh, of a grain of salt as you wish. But also, uh, they were playing up against a Cologne side, which, in most people's minds, was probably the strongest of the three promoted sides this year. It was a pretty clear-cut advantage to to Wolfsburg. It was a 2-1 win, and, and Cologne's goal was very much a sort of garbage-time goal. Luckily, though, for, for them, uh, Simon Terada, who has found it very difficult to score in the first division in past years, actually did get that garbage-time goal, which is probably good, getting breaking his duck so early in the season. Your thoughts at all about either of those two teams, if, if you have any? Yeah, just Roussillon. He became one of my favorite players last year. I think he's a very exciting left back, and I was actually impressed with Wolfsburg that they were able to keep him on this summer. I thought he had a very good game again against Cologne, and that's 
pretty much all I have to say. Nothing to add to your observations. Very good start for Glasner in the Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah. Very pretty goal from uh, Maxi Arnold in this game as well. Nice, nice sort of weird looping volley kind of deal uh, to, to open the scoring for Wolfsburg. A uh, couple of more results to go through. Uh, Dusseldorf got a pretty surprising 3-1 win away to Bremen. You know, Dusseldorf continue to be a pretty pretty uh, opportunistic side, and um, I guess Bremen continue to, to be a side that, that allows uh, some opportunities for other teams. Is, is there anything more to this game than, than just that? Nope, just the fact that the bear scoreline is pretty shocking. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I think that... I was very surprised by how this game turned out, especially with the some of the losses that Fortuna had to suffer this this summer with Luca Bacchio and Raman leaving. So good for them. I mean, what a start away in Bremen. Really good result for Funko's team. Yep, yep. And uh, you know, certainly a promising start, you know, for your for you uh USMNT fans out there. USA number one, Zach Steffen getting the start in 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 goal for Fortuna Dusseldorf, you know, it, it's unclear necessarily how firm his grip is on on the number one spot there. But, you know, winning your first game away to Bremen and uh, not looking out of your depth is, is a nice way to get started. Uh, and finally, we had Freiburg versus uh, Mainz. This was uh, a 3-0 win. Kind of a weird one, though. It was uh, a game that, that was really, really tight. And then somehow Freiburg just blew it wide open in the last eight minutes. What what in the world was going on here? That was so bizarre. You know, I really thought that that game would end scoreless. Both teams were kind of neutralizing each other. And these are two teams that I'm a bit concerned about this season, just in terms of the quality of the squad that they have available to them. And then suddenly, yeah, Freiburg turned up the volume <laughs> in the last 10 minutes and got a lucky penalty as well for the 3-0. So the scoreline is a lot more emphatic than you know, their play was, I would say. <laughs> but yeah, good for Waldschmidt to, to get that goal uh, with his penalty and winning a penalty in the end because I know a lot of eyes are on him after his showing at the under-21 Euros where he was the best goal scorer. So yeah, excited to see how he progresses this year in the Bundesliga and if he can confirm the impression that we got of him from the summer. Indeed, indeed, me too. And it's, uh, you know... It'll be fun to see what becomes of Freiburg because this is a team that, you know, their resources dictate more or less that pundits write them off just about every season. And I don't know. I mean, every once in a while they go down, but also every once in a while they have a really strong season and either get into Europe or push for it. And a guy like Luca Welschmidt, who's scoring lots of goals, is a really good way to uh, stay afloat in the league. And after one week in the Bundesliga, they are indeed in third place with a plus three goal difference. That's not a bad place to start. All right. I think that is probably all we need to say about match day one. Uh, we did have a uh, slight added intrigue in, in the, the, the waning uh, moments of this match day, the draw for the second round of the DFB Pokal. There's a few tasty, tasty uh, fixtures. Which one sort of leaps out at you as being the funnest? Oh, definitely again. Gladbach against Dortmund, the duel of the two Borussias in Western Germany. I think this will be the best match in this round. And I think Gladbach will be a challenge to Dortmund, perhaps the first big challenge um, this season, because like you mentioned, Dortmund has quite an easy 
scheduled to begin of uh, the season. So um, in October, I'll be very interested to see how that plays out because I do think that Gladbach can always score against any opponent. So, And I do believe that Dortmund can always concede <laughs> against any opponent as well. So, you know, the cup has its own rules, as we like to say, and this is a very cool tie for the second round. Yep, no doubt, no doubt. A couple of other goodies, I guess, would be uh, Bochum. Uh, hosting Bayern Munich. These are these are games that are all not going to be taking place until the end of October. So there's uh, plenty of time for, let's just say, uh, Leon Goretzka to reach full fitness. Uh, he is, of course, a, a Bochum boy, uh, played all of his uh, youth team games there. And, and even while he was playing at Schalke, not too far away from, from Bochum, would still tell journalists in, in interviews, like, you know, I, I play for Schalke, but I'm, I'm a Bochum fan. And I, you know, when, <laughs> when I have a, a day off, sometimes I'll, I'll even go to Bochum games. So he's, uh, you know, a guy who's going to have a special night at his old club. And maybe, I guess, the other sort of intrigue-filled tie in, in the round would be Hamburg versus Stuttgart. These is sort of, I don't know, maybe maybe the match between the two most uh, organizationally dysfunctional teams, let's just say, or the teams with, with the biggest history and, and smallest results packet in recent years. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, I mean, that's quite accurate, but... Um, yeah, quite harsh on those two clubs. But, I, I, you know, they both started very well into the season. So, you know, good start for those teams in the second league, the second Bundesliga. And a bit of a battle of the Giants, to be honest. No doubt. Um, that we'll, we'll see in the Cup. So looking, really looking forward to that match, like you said. Okay, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Great to have you back on the podcast, Marie. Really great. It was a lot of fun, and I'm very happy that Schalke started the season and already has more points than after five matches of last season. Oh my God. You're, you're just, you know, if, if after five matches they have, you know, let's say 10 points, I mean, you're, you're going to forget all about <laughs> all that, you know, sucking last year, and you're going to join the euphoric chorus of crazy Schalke fans talking about Europe. I know it. Yep, I'll be at the front of the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can follow Marie on Twitter at uh, Marie Schubo. Read her work in German, as it is, over on Focus Online. You can hit me up at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. Please do subscribe to this podcast on your podcasting platform of choice. Leave us a rating, if if you please. It is a big help. And uh, make sure to check out this week's episode of Talking Foosball Fantasy. They will be back on Wednesday, Thursday, etc. They will get you ready for match day two and help whatever disasters befell your fantasy team this week, or, or maybe just make you score even higher. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all. 